0: Let's open our Bibles, if you would please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And our subject today, again, is order in the church. We're discussing the last part of the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And we've been in this, this long study of uh, living in the light of Christ's return since 2018. And we did have a, almost a year break in there. Uh, from this study, but we're, we're back to this and we've learned that the major theme of these two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica is how to live considering the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've learned, not necessarily that you didn't know this, but we have learned through looking at many scriptures that the coming of Christ is imminent. That means he could come at any time. His coming, the Perusia is close at hand but it was not Paul's intent as he wrote to the church about this subject it was not his intent to impress the Thessalonians that Christ was coming on a certain date that he would come within a defined number of weeks or months or even of years because there is no one who knows that time there isn't a place in the scriptures that tell us when our lord will come There aren't any passages in the Bible that are cryptic, that if you know the key to interpreting them, you can figure this out when Jesus will be here. In fact, he said, there is no one who knows the time. Only his heavenly Father knows. And so it's not profitable for us to spend time speculating about when Christ will come. I'm very much aware that folks associate what we're going through now with the second coming. And it could be or it could not be. We're not sure of that. But the intent of the Apostle Paul is to teach us uh, that as we look for the Lord to come, we believe he can come today. And so that shapes us and prepares us as servants that are diligent every single day of our lives, diligent in the Lord's work. And as we'll learn today, all work is the Lord's work. All work is ministry work. There's never a time that we are to lay down on the job, that we are to quit and stop the work of ministry. And we're going to see the broad scope of ministry in the Lord's plan. Well, there were some in the Thessalonian church that did need to learn this. They had stopped. In fact, they were so sure that the Lord was going to come right at hand, that it was very near, that they quit their jobs, they sat down, and they waited. And it wasn't long before they found themselves in deep trouble without means of support, no jobs. But then it was worse because they wouldn't work, and rather they pled for the church to help them. Now, I'd like for us to look at this text again. Uh, in the past three messages, we've concentrated on discipline in the church. I'll review that just briefly. Then we'll switch our focus to the issue of work and how work is divinely ordained by God. Order in the church is maintained uh, by our works, maintained by by living our lives and uh, in, in accordance with the Word of God. And how we do that is central to the life of believers. Now, if we look in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." Now, up to this point in 2 Thessalonians, the apostle has been dealing with the magnificent subject of the Lord's return. The confusion about the return caused him to write these two letters, and because the confusion persisted after he had finished that first letter, there hadn't been much change in the church, and so Paul needed to write the second letter, and that's an indication that not only had the problem not been solved, but it was actually growing worse. These were people that were concerned that because of the persecution that they endured that they were going through end times tribulation. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to explain once again that God promised that his people would not see that day of wrath at the end, and then he went on and we saw in the second chapter how he explained what the day of wrath will be like. Well, now that Paul has finished that, he must deal with the aftermath of their confusion. Some had quit their jobs, and they became a burden to others. Their idleness had caused problems. Now, I want to catch you up on the first two areas of discussion. The first was the command for conformity. In the sixth verse, the apostle commanded... Separation from those who didn't follow the traditions that he taught the church when they were first converted to Christ. Now, those traditions that it speaks of here are things that Paul had taught them and what they had learned from the apostles, what they had learned from uh, his explanations of Old Testament texts, what they read from the ongoing revelation of scripture, just what the Holy Spirit had spoken to Paul to tell them. And here's the thing that we really do need to remember that When we read Paul's writings, we we understand that they are authoritative as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke them. And that's because these are words whose source is God. We have a Bible that the Lord gave us that is the rule of faith and practice for our lives. And as we are conformed to the scriptures, we are being conformed to Christ. And as we're all conformed to scripture, we're all being conformed to each other. All of us have the same salvation, all of us have the same Holy Spirit, and so we are unified in the faith when we live our lives as we're commanded. The Scriptures never allow that Christians can do their own thing, because our thing is Christ's thing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, "'Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing.'" And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now we've spoken of how the church is not about individualism. We don't care anything for, and neither does God care anything for, those who want to stand out by carving their own path through this world. Now, what we do as the people of God is to stand for the old path, stand in the old path, stand for the Word of God, stand for righteousness. We stand together in these things so that we don't fall separately. This is our strength. It's our, it's our strength when we are united in the obedience to the commands of God's Word. So we obey the Scriptures because that is the path of growth. That's the way we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, we noted this pastor uh, passage speaks of the discipline of the disorderly. That above all, what we must do is to protect the Lord's church. We protect it from those who cause divisions. Uh, We must protect the church from contentious people, those that would want to destroy our unity. Well, the question is, how do we protect the church? Well, we're protected... I think most importantly, by the covenant of commitment that we make to each other. When you become a member of the church, you agree to be held accountable to the people. You you agree to be held accountable for your actions. You agree to accept the determinations of the leadership of the church. And you agree to submit to the discipline of the church. The Bible teaches that Christ's body on earth is his church. And our salvation is submission to the Lordship of Christ. And one of the ways we do this, in a tangible way, is to submit to the authority of the Lord's church. But we have it wrong sometimes because we tend to think of discipline as a, as a bad thing. Discipline is a harsh thing. Discipline is something that we don't want. When really, when the Bible talks of discipline, all it means is to be discipled. It means to be taught. And one of the ways that we're taught is by the evaluation of our own lives and then bringing ourselves into the conformity of Christ. And whenever a member will not make the necessary corrections, then the church is obligated to act to protect the body. It's for the good of the body and for the good of the member. Well, in the Thessalonian church, there were some that would not self-correct they wouldn't listen to the apostles' instructions. And so Paul said the church needs to act. church needs to do something. They need to end fellowship with, with people that are disorderly. Now, if the person is a true believer, the church separating from him would cause him to be ashamed and then hopefully to be restored to fellowship by correction. And that's always the goal of discipline. Discipline in the church is never, the object of it's never just to get rid of people and force folks out. No, it's to help to restore offenders to the place of, of blessing. If the church tolerates sin, then I think the Bible teaches that we, we take part in that sin. The whole church becomes involved in that person's sin when we don't, when we don't discipline, and thus the whole church will lose its fellowship with the Lord. Well, we've discussed those two areas then, conformity and discipline. And now I want to, want to move on to final observations on this part of the text. Now we have one more sermon to go in this series, but this will end what we want to talk about in this part of the, of this text. And I want to expand here on some things that I taught in the first part of this sermon a few weeks ago. Now, thirdly, um, I want to discuss workmen who are not weary. Workmen who are not weary. In verse thirteen we find the, the anchor of this discussion. It says, But ye brethren, be not weary in well doing. I want to deal with that verse first and and then I want to talk to you about God's design for work. What happens with people in the church when we do our best to follow the Lord? But around us, there are others that cause problems. There are problem people. And these problem people are always tasking the good grace of the membership. This is what happened in Thessalonica. The busybodies had become an unfair burden on those who would work. These were people who would not work, and so they became a burden on those who would. Now, we all know that it's good Christian decorum, ...for us to help those that are weak. It's our responsibility to care for those who can't help themselves. And we know the Bible says that, that we are to love our neighbors... ...that we are to take care of widows and of orphans and of the poor. But what do we do with those people that have found a way to support themselves without work? They could work, but they won't work. And what they want to do is to take from the work of others... What about those who just continually beg and they wouldn't take a job if it was offered? What about those who have no interest in following the Lord and doing what the Lord commands? What are we to do? The Bible teaches that people are to work. Are we to feed those that refuse to work? We don't really need to speculate about that because it's right here in the text in verse number 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, what the Thessalonians had to do at this point was to balance their acts of love and compassion for those who couldn't help themselves with the responsibility to separate from those who could work but wouldn't. A question may arise, how long do we tolerate this? How, do we, how long do we go along with people uh, go with them and, and help them when they won't help themselves, when they could, but they are tasking the graces of others. How long do we do that? Well, I think we do it for a time. Uh, we We do it until such time as we understand that it's not doing any good for them. None of us likes to say no, because maybe we don't know all the reasons that a person... Wouldn't want to work. Maybe we don't know all of that. But if you're continually tasked with this and you're trying to do the right thing and and people just keep asking and they are not don't seem to be helped by it, you could very soon become weary of it. Now, the word that's used here for be not weary in verse number 13 is a word that means to lose heart. It means to be in despair. And sometimes we are in despair when we continually do good things for other people, trying to follow the Lord's command, but it doesn't seem to help. And we're just not making any progress in fixing these people. So you might come to the place that you say, well, that person wasn't grateful. That person is not grateful. All they want to do is take from me all the time, and so they're really abusing my good graces. And we have to be careful that we don't become cynical And we just stop doing good things for anyone. Now think about Jesus and the crowds that followed him. They followed him day and night. He was always dealing with crowds. Jesus fed them because he had compassion on them. But then finally it became the business of the crowds to follow him because he offered free food. When Jesus multiplied fish and bread to feed thousands, what's that? Well, that's a miracle, isn't it? Great miracle. What's the intent of Jesus doing the miracle? Is it simply to feed people? Well, no, that's not the real purpose. It's to show that He is the Son of God. It's to show that He is the true bread that came down from heaven. It was to show that He should be believed. Because there's nobody that could do these works but someone who is sent from God. Well, did the crowds follow because they were convinced by the miracles? No. They followed for one reason. They wanted food. Finally, it came to the point that when they followed Jesus to the other side of the sea, when he was getting away, Jesus said to them, well, you don't seek me because of the miracles. You don't seek me because you want to believe me and obey me. You seek me because you ate of the bread and you were filled. Well, what did Jesus do then? Did he say, now because of this, because you have abused my good graces, because you have abused what I've done for you, I'm not going to do any good for anybody. I'm just going to stop doing these good works. Well, we know that he didn't do that. He is the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of people that will never follow him for the right reasons until the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and changes them. Well, here's the point for us. Good works are the character ...of Jesus Christ. And good works are to be the character for Christians. We should never get weary of helping others. Now let me talk for just a few minutes about work. We discussed work in that first message... ...and I know many of you have heard that work is a four-letter word. We know what that means. Work is nasty. Work is distasteful. Work is awful. You ask somebody, well, what are you doing? And they'll say, as little as I can... They want out of work. They avoid it like coronavirus. When many people work, they have only one thing in mind. I I work to get something out of it. I'll do as much as I need to do to get what I want. Then after that, I don't care. So work is a way to satisfy my cravings. Work is for me. And when it comes to the point that it's not advantageous to me, then I won't work. And that's the attitude that many employers deal with? Has it ever made you angry when you go to the store and the person behind the counter ignores you? That person doesn't want to wait on you, doesn't care if you're going to buy something or if you're just going to turn around and walk out the door. They just don't want to wait on you. In other words, what's on their mind is not the good of their employer. It's not It's not uh, that this man that or, or whoever it is has supplied me with a job. That job is not their concern. Helping the employer build his business, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he keeps them in a job. That's not the concern. They only think of them. It's me first. And they don't care anything about getting what they want out of their job. Do you understand that that is not a Christian attitude? That is not the way we're to look at work. I remember when I got my first job, I I was never late to work. If I was there an hour early, that was okay. I didn't want to be five minutes late. I I didn't leave early. I didn't goof off. Let me say this about, about being on time, too. I try to practice that with church, uh, being on time. I, I, again, I would rather be here an hour earlier than walk in the door five minutes late. I'm not chastising anybody here today, but, uh, you know, I want to be here when the call to worship's being read. I want to be here with God's people. I like to be on time, and that's just something that's been instilled with me that my dad put into me years ago. So it didn't make any difference when, when I got my job, the first job, whether my employer was watching or not. It didn't really matter to me. I would still do my dead level best to do a good job. And I would put in every minute of time for my employer because he's the one paying me. Again, as I say, those are values that were instilled in me from a child. And I can tell you why. It's because my dad was a pastor and that's the example that he set for me. Now, he came from a a different generation when work was always considered honorable. And most importantly, he considered work to be a Christian ethic And so if he was going to work, he would work as hard as he could and to work as diligently as he could. And there is a principle for that. It starts with understanding what God says about work and understanding who is your real employer. A Christian belongs to Jesus Christ and therefore everything we do must reflect well on him. Everything we do is for his glory. Now, the work ethic that built this country and the work ethic that makes your grandfather's generation different from now is that in those days, work mattered. They knew. Most people knew that work makes a difference to God. Hard hard work is actually rooted in religion. And people in the past thought about God. And so most were honest in their work. Well, things have changed because people today think mostly only of themselves. And so they've ruined the work ethic. God's not considered in anything that they do. And when that happens, the priorities are all skewed. And if God is pushed out of the way, we will not have the right work ethic. Work for them is not for the good of our fellow man in building a strong economy for our nation, for our society. No, it's always the micro-economy of me. That's what matters. Is that Christian? No. The answer is no. Everything we do must be for the glory of God. We work hard because hard work reflects the character of Jesus Christ. We are honest in our work because that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. We are diligent in our work because that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. We show up on time to work because that reflects the character of Christ. We put in every minute that we claim on the time card because that reflects the character of Christ. We can't separate what we do from Christ because we are in Christ and He is in us. In other words, whatever job we do, Whatever work we do, work that's not against the principles of God's word, all of it is God's employment. And let me tell you what that does. It's, it no longer makes, there is no separation between secular work and ministry work. For Christians, there is no such thing as secular work. All work is ministry work. And you hear many say, I wish I could do what the pastor does. I wish I could quit my job and go to work at the church, be on the church staff, and then use all my days in, and time in the ministry of the church. Is that a biblical attitude? The answer to that question is no, it's not. Because wherever you work, your work is the ministry of Jesus Christ. Everything you do is for the glory of God. So when your work, when you work, your work is Ministry for Christ. Now, maybe one of the things you haven't figured out when you think about this is that God calls and gifts some people to be pastors. He doesn't do that for everybody. And as noble as it may sound to say, well, I desire a full-time job working for the church, God doesn't want you to work for the church. Not that way. God doesn't want you to be here eight or ten hours every day. No, God wants you up at seven... Or whatever time you need to get up, to be at work by eight or nine o'clock, to go to your job and be there in the factory, on your job driving a truck, on your job like Brother Tabor fixing cell phone towers, whatever he does, and on your job checking out shoppers at the grocery store, on your job at McDonald's, or I think we, I don't see our in and out employees here today, but we have some of those, and, and, uh, that's, that's your, employment, your ministry employment, to be on that job. That is your sacred employment. Now, God is much smarter than you, and so he doesn't give everybody in the church a job in, I mean, working right here in the ministry in this way. And so you should never push to do what God hasn't called you to do. I mean, who would support our church and all the operations that we have if everybody was drawing a check from the church? That just doesn't work. We need people out there on their jobs, working, supporting the church, and also out there being the ministers of Jesus Christ. I mean, what good are we to the world if every Christian is a monk monk who stays inside these four walls? No, God needs people out in the world on their jobs doing everything they can to glorify Him where they are and setting an example of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. You need to be doing your best to be a good employee and living like Christians so that people come and ask, what makes you so compassionate? What makes your work ethic what it is? What, what is it about you? And that's when you're able to shine for Christ. That's when you have an opportunity to speak for Him. You are the candle that shines out the light of the gospel. Your work is for Christ. And if you take it that way, You take your job as being work for Christ. It will certainly change your work ethic. How do we make America great? Well, it's not by handouts. It's not by selfishness. And it's not by immorality. One of the things that will make America great is to recover the work ethic that we used to have. And that's considering God in everything that we do. We will not make America great by making ourselves great. We won't make America great by being weary and well-doing. We do it with love for our fellow man and everything that we do for the glory of God. Is it possible for you to reconcile laziness and laissez-faire and, and dishonesty in your work with the glory of Christ? No, it's not possible. You see that the problem here? If you aren't a good employee, And you don't work hard. You can't glorify Christ. And people that do not glorify Christ cannot call themselves Christian. And everything that you do, do all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now going back to the Thessalonians, some wouldn't work. Now it's for sure they made a mistake. They misinterpreted what the apostles said. And they took a wrong course because they did. They thought it was time to quit their jobs and sit down and wait for the Lord to come. They made the mistake, but when they learned better about the Lord's return, they still wanted to live off their mistake. But not to work is to defy God. Work is a creational principle. You remember how we talked about this, that uh, there are many people who think that work was a part of the curse And they think that God threw Adam out of the garden of Eden and part of the punishment that he put on Adam was that he had to work. Well, that's not true. Adam was commanded to work while he was in the garden. He was to tend the garden. God blessed that work. And we can see one of the reasons that work is so important right here in our text, that work keeps us occupied. That's why you call it your occupation. It's the thing that keeps you busy. And people are always going to be busy with something. Some are busy laying on the couch. Some are busy with other people's business. But God gave us work to occupy us to keep us out of trouble. Adam was told to work in the garden when he was still innocent, before he sinned. And when God threw him out... His work had to become harder because farmer Adam then had to contend with the briars and the thistles and the weeds that grew up with his crops. That was part of the curse. But work, that's not part of the curse. That's a command for all of us. In fact, you can find work in the Ten Commandments. We know that. We've discussed this as well. In Exodus 20 verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And, you know, sometimes we miss the reading of that part. We get to the Sabbath part and resting on the Sabbath and forget that God said, no, six days you're going to work. That's not incidental to this whole thing. I think we miss it. And we've seen the bumper stickers. The guy that's, you know, got his truck loaded down with tools. He's headed down the highway. And on the sticker it says, I'd rather be fishing. Well, God didn't say six days you shall fish. Unless, of course, your job is to catch fish and you do that for a living. And so if you're out on a fishing boat at the Outer Banks, you fish for six days and you don't fish on the Sabbath. On You don't fish on Sunday. The point of it is you shall work. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's not my job to feed you if you won't work. And I'll tell you something else, it is against the scriptures for the government to to redistribute the wealth of those who will work to those who won't work. So if I feed you and you don't work or won't work, I do you a disservice and I don't glorify God. And here's, here's the problem with our selfish society. The one who works hard and refuses to hand out what he works for to the lazy That's not the person that's being selfish. The one who is selfish is the one who takes from others without doing their part to feed themselves and make a better society. So hear what I'm saying. This is not about the helpless. It's not about the infirm. It's not about the poor who can't make it. This is about the guy with a cardboard sign that asks for money while he sits next to a cardboard sign that says help needed. You don't help that person. And I I know what some will say. Well, you know, I have never heard a pastor in California, liberal California, talk like that. I've never heard a Christian who said that some of these people just need to go to work. And we don't help them because when we do, we perpetuate their defiance of God and love of self. These are people that have never read the Bible. There, There are people that haven't read this text. They try to define Christianity by the opposite of what God said. Now, if you truly need help, we will help, and we never ask for anything in return. I remember just before COVID, there was a lady who came to the church and told me her story. She needed an operation at Kaiser, but Kaiser wouldn't do this operation until she had paid, I think it was $100 on her deductible amount, now, I don't know if the story was true or not, but this is what she said. She said, I don't have the money. She said, I will have the money at the first of the month when the social, my Social Security check comes. And then she said, if you can help me out, I'll pay you back. Well, I thought about that for a little bit, and uh, you might listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6.35. He said, but love you, your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be children of the highest. For he is kind to the unfaithful and to the evil. And I thought about that and and I reasoned. You know, this this woman is certainly not my enemy. So how much more should I help her? So I said, I'll I'll give you the money. And I'm not asking you to pay it back. Now remember though, she made the offer to pay it back. Um, Was that her intention when she offered? And the answer to that question is, is no, she might as well have stolen it because it was never her intention to pay it back. She never bothered to come back to the services any after she did what she needed to do. She didn't come back at the first of the month when she got her Social Security check. She didn't come to any service in between. But then a few weeks, by chance, I saw her at Kaiser. Now, what she didn't know is I spent a lot of time at Kaiser, And so I saw her and she saw me and she didn't say a word and took off in the opposite direction. Now, you know, that's when you can get weary in well-doing. Through the years, this has happened many times. Of course, your motto probably should be don't lend what you can't afford to lose. The Bible says if you're going to help somebody, you don't really ask for the return of that. You know, I remember one of our members was having a hard time and I'm not, not... trying to set myself up as the hero of this story. I'm just giving you an example. I don't want to be the hero of any story. I want Jesus Christ to be the hero of all my stories. But I uh, uh, knew that these church members were having a hard time. And they didn't ask for any help. Never even approached me to help them. I just knew that they needed, they were really struggling. And so I took out my checkbook and I gave them several hundred dollars. And I put it out of my mind. I didn't tell them, you got to pay this back. Several weeks later, I received a very, very nice card from them. And in the card, there was a check for the amount that I, that I gave them. I wasn't expecting it back, but that sure was a blessing from the Lord. And it's then that you realize that payback or not, don't get weary with well-doing. Jesus said, your reward will be great. You you may not get it back right away, but it will come back to you. It will be multiplied a hundred times when the Lord gives out his rewards. Well, this is one of the things that we face with churches in our country. The church is a target. Often it's a target. The church is the place that people can go to get money because they know nobody's going to hold them accountable. So I'm amazed at the number of people that will call and I'm not in the office now like I used to be, but this used to happen often that that people would call and say, hey, you know, can you help me out? I need my rent paid. And someone would say, well, I've got an electric bill to pay. I had one woman who called and said, can you buy some dog food for my dog? I don't have any money for the dog. Is this what Jesus said? You don't seek me for the miracles. And and I'm talking about people that would never show up for for church. You don't seek me for the miracles. You don't seek me to believe. You seek me for free bread. You seek me for the check. So almost 100% of the time, these are people that will show up after church to pick up the check. Sit in the parking lot until the services are over. Don't come in. They wait till everything is done. Then they come in and say, I need to speak to the pastor because I need to pick up the check. Well, sometimes we help, but I wonder how many times when we do, whether we're doing people a disservice. There are some people who have just made it their business to collect checks, but they won't work. Now, let me take you back to your grandpa's generation. It used to be that you would see a sign that said, we'll work for food. People generally needed help. We'll work for food. I, I saw one of those signs, I think, in the last, God, I, I can't even think, maybe, maybe the last 10 years, I saw one sign where somebody offered to, to work uh, to, uh, if, if you just give them some money. But what I've usually found out, they hold up the sign because it's a way to get money and people won't ask them to work and they know that too. But I remember when I was young that people would come to my dad for help there were many that my dad helped. There were times when we had strangers in the house because my dad wanted to help them. They just came and stayed with us. Back then, in those days, our our church was rural. Um, the church really couldn't afford to support our family, so my dad also had a construction business. And one thing he knew to do, one thing he often did, was to offer people a job. He gave out jobs so that people could get on their feet. And that was a time when people uh, that were able-bodied would work because work was honorable. And these were people that were ashamed to ask for help and they would never ask for it without doing everything they could to earn their way. But our work ethic today is squashed by this me-first, selfish generation. And our politicians know this, they they run on a platform of rights. Every American has a right to a check. Every American has a right to health care. Every American has a right to some sort of subsidy for anything that you want. But here's what I believe that the Bible teaches. You are not entitled to what I have. I can give you what I have, but you're not entitled to it. If you're, if you're able, but you won't contribute to the economy, I don't think you have any rights. If you disobey the law, you have a right to a fair trial and a right to get exported out of this country. You shall work. That's a biblical maxim. You shall not eat if you don't work. That's a biblical maxim. Work's a creational principle that hasn't changed, and it won't change. We are not an elevated society... Because we figured out ways to eat without working. We are a degraded society because we don't do the honorable thing. We let people eat without working. Well, just briefly, what happens to the person in the United States who doesn't eat? Pretty much what happens to people all over the world if they don't eat, they starve. But there's a big difference in America... And that is, you don't hear very much about people starving, do you? Oh, they may not eat caviar every night, but they aren't starving. So here's what happens in America. If you stop feeding those who who can work but won't work, the able-bodied out there will not starve because they love themselves too much. They're not going to starve. They go to work. They find something to do. Work. They work it out some way. They don't starve. Now, I'm not talking about people in Sudan. I'm not talking about people in, in Ethiopia or countries with oppressive dictators that starve their people. I'm speaking of the good old USA that used to be a model of affluence for the rest of the world. People are not dying like flies in America because they're starving to death. So what do we do? Well, we tend to perpetuate our problems. We make it too easy not to work. We do things like we we take the drug addicts on the street and clean up all their used needles, give them new needles so they can leave some more used needles, and we just repeat that cycle over and over again. And these policies are absolutely insane because we don't know the one true living God. What we've done is we've left Christ out of our lives, and so that affects every part of what we do. Well, here's what I want to leave with you. Christians must live for the glory of God. Everywhere we are and everything we do has Christ attached to it. We don't want to be separated from Christ. Real Christians don't. And so we seek his glory. We're watchful about everything that we do to be sure that it complies with the written word of God. We will conform to Christ. We will not walk disorderly. We will seek the good of our fellow man. In the way that God says is best for Him. We can't do humanity any good by any other method than what the Creator devised for humans. We must follow the Lord's Word on this. God designed you for work. God designed you to serve Him. And the only way that you truly can is through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the way that you can work for the Lord. Knowing Him is the only way. So we, we look at this, this passage and we see Paul is very practical in his teaching. And we've noted the way that Paul often develops the letters that he wrote. He starts out with doctrinal issues and then he works his way into the practical. So we find him being very practical here. So what he's already done, he's given us this exalted doctrine of the Lord's return. And he's sure to give you that. He's sure to tell you what the Lord will do for you. But then he doesn't fail to tell you what God expects from those that he saves. And he'll tell us always how we are to live in the light of Christ's return. This is what we need to get from this section of the scriptures. How do we live in the light of Christ's return? And certainly our work is a big, big part of our lives, isn't it? It always is. So serve him to the best of your ability. Honor Christ in all that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we've had to be together around your word. And Lord, we just pray that We would be examples to others in the world. We would take the message that we've heard and apply it. That's what it's for. This is why we teach. This is why we discipline, disciple. It's to teach people how to live each and every day of their lives. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the commitment of our people to learn the Word of God. Even the most, uh, what seems to be the the things that we don't even need to look at or even talk about. No, all, all of it is good for us. And so we take it as your word delivers it to us. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace upon us. Be with each and every one of our people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707 Five eight four seven two seven five, or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.